Max Lucado, in his book, When Christ Comes, tells a story of ages past about a royal, rich, and admirable prince and a peasant girl who fall in love. There was once a prince who literally had the world at his disposal. And most would say that there has never been a more perfect specimen of a man who ever lived. Nothing about him was common. You wouldn't be exaggerating to say that he was the perfect catch. On the other hand, there was a peasant girl, and she was nothing more than average. At her best, she was plain, but at her worst, you would say that she was just plain ugly. And there are times that she was self-centered and cranky and moody, and she rarely would achieve all that she could. And to look at her from anyone else's eyes, you would never believe that she was desirable. But if you could see her through the eyes of the prince, you would believe that she was to die for. Because the prince determined that he couldn't bear to live without her, he asked her to be his bride. And the angels in heaven listened expectantly as she accepted his proposal. The prince promised the bride that he would come back for her soon, and the peasant turned princess pledged to faithfully await his return. No one thought that it was odd that the prince would leave. He is, after all, the son of the king, and he has kingdom duties. You would expect the bride to always be thinking about the coming wedding, but she rarely ever mentioned it. You would think that every waking moment would be lived out in anticipation for preparation for the coming of her prince. However, by the way she lived, you wouldn't even know that she was the bride of a perfect prince. More frequently than not, you couldn't even tell the difference between the bride and any of the other maidens, peasant girls in the village. There were even times that she was seen flirting with the other men. Can you imagine, can you imagine a peasant girl fortunate enough to be the object of the perfect prince's eternal love? You would expect her to be captivated by his love and filled with a sense of wonder that she was fortunate enough to be loved by him. You would think that she would be engrossed in excited anticipation of the return of her royal groom. Instead, to look at her, you might wonder if she ever remembered if she was engaged at all. How could a peasant forget her prince? And is, is it possible for a bride to forget her groom? In your Bibles today, would you turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians, in chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 21 today, and the sermon notes are available to you in a digital format at novachurch.org 
or on your Nova Community Church app. You can find the sermon notes there. We're in a sermon series um, called Ecclesiology, and it's the study of the church. And in this series, we'll explore the seven metaphors that we could find here in the Bible that are word pictures of the church. And today we'll talk about the word picture of the church, the Bride of Christ. The Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is a great place to learn about the church. In the whole book, if you look at chapters 1 through 3, they're all about the doctrines of the church. So if you're taking notes, maybe in the beginning where it just says Ephesians and it begins with chapter 1, you could take a little note there and, and write 1 through 3 is all about the doctrines of the church. That's chapters 1 through 3. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about the duties of the church. And the book is split really evenly in that way. The first half is about the doctrines. The second half is about the duties. And as you look at the last half of chapter 5 today, what we're going to do is observe some very practical sort of rules or values for home life. And specifically, our text today focuses in on the marriage relationship. And our focus today that's often overlooked is Paul's ecclesiological reflection of the church in light of the relationship between a husband and a wife. The marriage relationship is seen as an analogy, a word picture of first Christ's love, secondly of his salvation, and thirdly of the care in his nurturing of the church. It's all about the love of Christ, the salvation that he brings, and about the care and the nurture for the church. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to take a look at verse 21 to begin. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ in the church. This is God's word for us today. Now what I'd like you to do is take your pen, and if I really would like you to treat your Bible as a textbook and make notes and, 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 and uh, understand it by writing in it. And so what I'd like you to do is take a look at this verses 21 through 30, 32 
and, and go through and circle every time the word church is used. And if you did that and you circled every time the word church is used, you're probably going to find no less than six times in these, uh, how many verses, 11, 12 verses here that the word church is used. Now, if you were to go back again later on this week in preparation for your small group, perhaps, and you go back and you not just circle the word church in these verses, but you circle the word wives or underline the word wives. And you're going to probably find no less than seven times that wives is mentioned in this verse. And of course, if we're going to, if we're going to circle wives, and this is a verse about wives and husbands, about marriage, go ahead and you could circle the word wives, I mean, uh, husbands, and you're going to find probably no less than five. And the point here is, in these verses that's speaking about marriage, and mostly when people look at these verses, it's talking about the relationship between husbands and wives. You're going to find pretty much an equal number of mentions of wives and of husbands and of the church. And I think that that's interesting and really important for us today as we take a look at the word pictures of the church. And Nova, like many churches across the world, sometimes we get mired in the duties, the doings of the church. It's church is something that we do only to forget the relationship that Christ has with the church. And so we're going to take a look at this just from two points that we can pull out of these verses, two aspects found in our text today, the relationship between Jesus and the church who's his bride. And number one, the first point we can make here is there is a growing relationship in the love of Christ, a growing relationship in the love of Christ. If you look at verse 25 in our text today, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And and go ahead and underline that phrase, Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. And that's an example of how he loved the church. And underline that phrase, too. This shows husbands and the church how to love sacrificially by the example of Jesus Christ. This growing love of Christ with the church, how Christ loved the church by giving his life to the church. In verse 29, another aspect of that, it says, After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. And so there's not just the sacrificial love in our example of Jesus Christ, but there is this nurturing, this feeding, this caring for the church. And this shows husbands in the church how to love consistently and continually. Jesus nurtures and he's the one that cares for the church. And the church will be much stronger if it's more conscious of this ongoing love and presence of Christ within the church. Let's consider this, how we, as the bride of Christ here at Nova, can devote ourselves to experiencing Jesus and worshiping him and reflecting on identifying with him rather than just talking about Jesus, just learning about Jesus, just doing things for Jesus. In fact, I think these are the aspects of love that we need to identify that Christ is in relationship with his bride, the church. It's this experiencing him. It's loving him, worshiping him, and then reflecting on our, our identity within him. 
And see, the first relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church, is the growing love of Christ within the church. And the second is growing not just in the love, but in the, what we call lordship of Christ. It says in verse 25, 26, and 27, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And when we use the word Lord here, we're talking about Jesus is Lord or he's the head of or he's the leader of the church. And the church submits to him gladly, obediently. And we, have, we can't have any other agenda here at Nova other than that which is set and modeled by Christ himself. And so I, I think... Our, our whole work here as a church has got to be understanding who Jesus is and how can we submit to him. I mean, that's got to be our primary focus. Who is Jesus? And how can we submit our lives to him? How can we be led by him as a church? And, and as we think about submitting to him, we've got to think about two key passages of Scripture that are, that are given to us in the Great Commission in the great commandment. And we, we need to have that as a primary focus of our mission. The great commandment found in, uh, the great commission found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 and 20. And then the great commandment of loving your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength found in Matthew chapter 22. And the question is, are, is the staff and is the board are the ministry leaders, as you as a ministry leader, is your primary thought and focus on what are the purposes of Christ and how do we follow him? Because that's all about the lordship. The love of Christ is about worship, experiencing him, finding our identity in him. But the lordship is, do we know Jesus? And how can we follow his purposes for our life? Are we bound to Christ? And is our identity in him? And, and with that comes a sense of value as the bride of Christ and privilege that we get the presence and power of God for living as we bind ourselves as the bride of Christ with Jesus himself. Now this text is obviously valuable to understanding marriage. And it's the primary focus of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Now, it seems strange to me as we think about bride and groom and, and the bride of Christ and Jesus himself. It seems strange to me that the bride, the church, needs to be reminded that she's a bride. But we don't always think of the church as the bride of Christ. And so let, let's do this. Let's remind ourselves as the people of Nova that the church is the bride of Christ. And, I, and the first point in your notes here with that is that the bride of Christ has captured God's heart. Now that's, we're, we're talking about romance and emotion and, and all of that, but if we can primarily focus on the idea that the bride of Christ has captured God's heart. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I, I've got to be a part of a few of these. 
Have you ever witnessed a marriage proposal? I mean, like really been there to, to actually see what that's like. It's, it's an amazing experience when you get to witness that. And in today's world, it seems to be kind of a big event, right? And, and there's a, a photographer for that or a videographer and, and families invited and, and things like that. Long ago, we just kind of did it in private and, and no one else was, was, was looking. But if you've ever had the chance to witness the emotional power of a marriage proposal, there's such nervousness that's, that's, that's a part of that. If you're a guest in that, there's such excitement and anticipation because a question's going to be asked and an answer is going to be given. And you're really hoping and praying that it's going to be an affirmative answer to something like that. But then there's this question asked, an affirmative answer, and then this release of emotions and a celebration and, and dreams of future celebrations of, of a wedding and in a party and all these things. But I'll tell you what, one of the most amazing things is the transformation you find in the future bride. I remember witnessing a marriage proposal and the bride was, she was nice. She, she was nice. But I'll tell you what, after she said yes, things changed in her. She was more than nice. She, her smile was brighter. She walked a little taller. She laughed a little louder. Now, why, why does that happen to brides? What made the difference? What made the difference was that she was chosen. That the young man she loved said to her, Will you marry me? Come spend the rest of your life with me in marriage. And she was empowered by that proposal, validated by his love, convinced that she was worth loving, and things just changed. And God's love for his bride can do the same for us as his church when we actually think about that. As a church, sometimes insecurities stalk us. Will we have enough money to make budget? How come we aren't as large as this other church? Is our ministry as powerful as that church that we read about on Twitter or see on Facebook in Virginia? And insecurity stalk us as a church. And even self-doubt plagues us as a church. But listen to the words of love intended for you. Take a look at Song of Solomon in chapter 4 in your notes. In verse 9, it says, You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart. With one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace, how delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Now maybe some of these words strike you as strange. And maybe they're too emotional for your immature mind. Maybe they're too romantic. Maybe you feel awkward just even reading 
that scripture because it is too intimate. How would you explain, though, Christ's actions of love for his bride? Are they just logical, like, yeah, she has everything together, so it's, she's good to marry. She doesn't have much debt, so I don't have to sort of take on her debt after we get married. Yeah, she's smart and has a good job. She's good around people. All those logical sort of things we think about when we think of a bride. But I think, you know, did logic put Jesus in a manger? Did common sense nail Jesus to a cross? No. He came as a royal prince with an eye on a maiden. And he was willing to give up his life and win her for eternity. I don't know about you, but I get the privilege of, of spending time with a young man, a groom, just minutes before he gets married. And it's, it's kind of funny because we're kind of locked up in a back room while the bride's with her bridesmaids and in a bridal suite or something like that. And for the officiant, the pastor, and the groom, and maybe the best man, we're sort of stuck away in a janitor's closet, like, wait here until it's time. I'll come get you. I'll tell you when it's time. <laughs> and I'm there, and I, I, I always know what to do. I got a, a pocket full of mints, a uh, few bottles of water, smelling salts if needed. Um, I'm coaching him to take deep breaths and, you know, bend your knees a lot. Don't ever lock your knees when you get up there. And and he's not really listening to me. He's just, you know, and it's time. The wedding coordinator comes in, knocks on the door, and says, okay, it's time. And we walk out. I lead. And he looks like a prisoner, <laughs> you know, on his way to the gas chamber or something like that, you know. And we get up to the front. And I got my arm, pat him on the back a little bit, bend your knees, okay, got that. And then the music starts up, that music that you hear in a wedding. And the mother of the bride stands, leading everyone to stand. And all eyes are on the bride. Everyone's looking down the aisle, trying to catch a glimpse of that bride. But you know what I like to do? I like to look at the groom. Because there's something that changes. He is sweaty and nervous and uncomfortable in that suit. But when he locks eyes with his bride for the very first time down that aisle, something changes. He forgets that he's nervous. He forgets that he's sweaty. And he remembers that all of this is worth it. Isaiah 62, in the New Century Version, it says, Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride, then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. It's beautiful. But that is how Jesus loves his bride. So the church, the bride of Christ, has captured God's heart. And, and the second thing I could find here is that the church, the bride of Christ, has God's love lavished on her. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It, sees, it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, 
And that is what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I think about the gifts that God's given his church. If you just look around at each other, we have this promised Holy Spirit that indwells us and walks alongside us. We're never alone. <clears throat> convicts us when we're wrong and encourages us to do great things. God has given us one another to love and to serve with and to pray for and to carry burdens with and to experience kindness with and to work alongside. As we, as we talk to God, as we pray, God listens. This, this incredible gift that He hears our prayers and He knows our hearts and He responds when we talk to Him. He'll never let you be tempted too much or stumble too far. And He's preparing a house for you. John chapter 14 says, My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Have you noticed that most engaged couples are obsessed with their preparation? Maybe you were that engaged couple. That you were just, from the time that you said yes and or you asked that question to the time of that wedding ceremony, things were just, I, it's like you got to quit everything. You, I hear, I'm going to quit my job because I've got to focus on this task right here. And, and, and there's dresses to say yes to, and there's suits or tuxedos to rent, and it's got to be the right tie and the right shoes. And on that day, you've got to prepare by getting the person to do the right hair and the right makeup. And it's got to be the right reception. The DJ's got to play the right songs. It's got to be the right food. And you've got to get the people to do the right speeches. Why? Why is that? So that your fiancé will still want to marry you? No. It's just the opposite. Engaged couples want the right stuff because their fiancé is marrying them. I think if we look deep into our hearts... The same is true for us. We want to be our best for Jesus. We want our hearts to be pure. We want our thoughts to be clean. We want our faces to shine with grace. And our eyes, we want our eyes to sparkle with love. And we want to be prepared. Why? In hopes, we want to be prepared in hopes that one day he'll actually come back and love us and take us to be his own. No, it's just the opposite. He already loves us. And so, to the bride of Christ, be obsessed with your wedding day because he's coming back to get us. Guard against forgetfulness. Write yourself notes that it's imminent that Jesus is coming back to get us. Memorize the truth of the scriptures that affirm that in your life, that Jesus loves his bride, the church. We're engaged to royalty and the prince. The prince is coming to take you back home.
Amen.